friends welcome back to the film alchemist podcast the show where we look at movies we love break them apart to find out what gives them their magic i'm your host josh griffey joined as always by my whore loving google glass uh final boy and co-host alex dandino <laughs> that's the true whore remember when google glass was a thing? truth <laughs> all right Guys, if you love the show, and we hope that you do, please take a second right now, this second. Uh, do it while you're listening. Please leave us a rating and review wherever you find the pod, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcasts app. That helps us out enormously, guys. We appreciate that. You can see our faces as well as hear our voices on our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist, plural with an S at the end. You can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com with your ideas. Uh, for movies, themes, guests, double features, new stuff you'd like to hear us talk about. Uh, remember, every December, we stuff your stocking uh, where we do listener picks. That's every single December, so good time to email the show, get in on that. And find us on all your social medias. Wherever you are, we're there too, and we'd love to uh, talk to you. All right, that's enough for business. Guys, again, we return to the depths of the abyss, the black, black abyss Returning of the horror genre. Yeah, right? <laughs> the deepest, darkest, actually, I mean, I guess the whitest part of the horror beast. Thank you. Woodsboro. Uh, back again, as you guys know, every day this month, we will be releasing a horror movie. Because every October, Alex lets me get more and more insane. And this month, I said, fuck it, I want to do one every day. And I so said, we are fuck bring- it, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, right? He's uh, the stew to my Billy. That's what I love about you, boo. Thanks. So here we are. Scream <laughs> four today. Yeah, I'm woozy, man. So many screams. I'm woozy. We're finishing up uh, all of Scream. As you guys know, the really big one this month, every single Halloween movie, all of them. It's a lot. Uh, so yeah, we got horror movies coming constantly. We've got some guests. Stay tuned every single day this month. Stay with us for all the horror goodness. But again, let's wrap up here in Woodsboro. Although, as we know... While this may be a scream make, as they call it, a scream make, uh, kind of a reboot of Scream, there is a Scream 5, which I don't know what's left to do. I'm assuming Scream 5 is going to be um, Sid lost in an art house horror movie, like maybe like an Ari Oster style movie where, uh, you know, Sid's relatives start going, hail Paimon, and I, I don't know what, Dewey's just over there like doing the tuck from Silence of the Lambs. I'll tell you what's I'll tell you what's left is they have not had the opportunity yet to typeset a five into the name Scream. So that's definitely gonna be the poster. Uh, I'm glad the poster's already taken care of. You're welcome. Again, I, I think I think highbrow, high art horror is the last untapped field for the Scream genre. Yeah. Um I'll say this. Even Scream Four I felt like this one stumbled out the blocks a bit. But again, as is always the case with Scream, even things Scream does that don't seem like they're working are perfectly built in because of the story armor of the fact that they're taking a shot at horror. Right. And this one I thought, because right off the bat, I was like, this is the worst opening in the Scream series. This opening scene is long and it's bad. Yes. It's not good. It's not fun. It's just, yeah, uh, some girl gets stabbed, and they even make light of it. They're like, 
Oh, two bimbos just deconstructing horror. Gross. And then we just get another kind of quick one. And then we're in the teens. So it's like a three, a three bad yeah. opening. It's like this uh, weird, you know, it's this really bad inception opening we get. And like, <laughs> we all, we all know what's happening. Like, this is the thing that I love about. Honestly, this is the thing I actually enjoyed the most about it. And I, I don't know if this is just because I'm used to Kevin Williamson writing at this point, but from the jump, I'm like, this is not the movie yet. Like we have at least two more of these to go. And then like, as soon as Kristen Bell and Anna Paquin show up on the couch, you're like, mm-hmm. cool. Still waiting for the movie to start. Copy you're like, that. Nope. Nope. <laughs> like, now, I don't know. I knew going in that they were tackling reboot culture. Yeah, totally. So like, as soon as you see Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell, you're like, well, they're not, they're not part of this reboot. movie at all. Yeah. That's not going to be the thing. Not only that, they, they do this like Dante and Randall God. back and forth about like what it is. <laughs> I'm just like, got it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, we all we all have a friend who is essentially Anna Paquin in that moment. I uh, was just like, yeah, I'm going to just shit on everything you like and try to use some uh, five dollar college words and yeah. be really cool. Mine is um, you. You you're know, my, you're my Anna I'm not going to say and, that. You know. Yeah, I was going to say I'm not going to say that I haven't been drunk at many of bars fulfilling that exact role. Just, you know, to mix it up a bit. But yeah, about? if I had gotten stabbed, I'd have been like fair play. We do it on the fair pod. We, we do it on the pod <laughs> weekly. It says, I don't even know what you're talking about. And now daily. (laughs) Anna Pack was taking on unprovoked haymakers. Although she did say one thing and I was like, fuck man, maybe I am an Anna Pack when, when she uh, went after the Saul series, I was like, finally girl, I'm here for you on that. (laughs) You are Anna. But then we start good. And it's, it is, it's just weird. Cause I feel like scream is so known for the opening scene in this one. Once we get to the third moment, it just didn't feel like it paid off for me. So you're already starting on Rocky Road, but again, I think I think this is kind of the point, right? Because we get to it later when we talk about these rules of a remake, right? Everything's more extreme. The rules are cliched and out the window, right? The unforeseen is the thing. right? And so there is a way where the opening scene being somewhat bland and not nearly as interesting as any Scream movie we've seen before somewhat plays as a critique on remake culture right like why are we just i think it's weird too because kevin williamson and wes craven chose to put three openings back to back i believe that's exactly the point they're going for. yeah i mean i think that's the whole purpose of doing that is to say hey remember those other three movies we've done two technically but guess the yeah, right <laughs> you know these other three movies we did you know what's going to come. Like, do I even have to explain it to you guys? Yeah. Like, I think that's the thing that I like the most about Scream 4 is that it's not about, it's not about, like, the trick of, like, Randy giving us the rules. The trick is, mm-hmm. we already know the trick. The trick is, like, trying yeah. to get us to not spend the entire movie. Like, it's such a weird, like, again, it's, a like, probably the tightest rope they've walked the entire time, which is, like, how do I make this movie relevant for a new generation while also honoring what we've already done in three other movies, but at the same time, still make it interesting for everyone who's coming out to see this fourth movie of a trilogy that we've already finished. Like that to me is the real issue with the movie and it works and it doesn't work on a lot of occasions. And uh, I think that as we get deeper, we'll find that there are some things that probably could work if they were actually done in a way that made sense, or at least were less millennial yeah. in some res- in some regards. Oh no, here we are. 
We're like old man Dewey screaming at the ghost space decoration. Like again, it's it's such a. I will say this. Yeah, you cannot watch this movie and think that Sid Prescott can be rebooted or redone. Like she is, she's the the fucking queen. The more we talk about this, I'm like, dude, her and Laurie Strode is so much closer than people give credit. Yeah. But here's here's the thing that I found really funny, right? So I can't think of any other horror movies, many movies in general, where it's like, let's make the first five to ten minutes of our movie intentionally not very good <laughs> so that we can make a critique on the entire genre that brought our audience here in the first place, right? Right. That is kind of the fun world that Scream lives in. Yeah, totally. I don't. Again, it's one of those, I don't know that it's that successful because, again, like, even Scream 2 and Scream 3, you get, like, Scream 2 has the great, like, wild movie theater hoopla opening, which is a critique on horror itself, but it's still doing a lot of fun work, right? Like, it's still kind of setting us up in a new adventure. Right. This one just felt like they had something to say, but kind of like this whole movie, I don't know how much they land the critique. I mean, to me. It's weird. It doesn't feel like a super modern horror movie, you know, just set in scream. It still feels like a scream movie just without his cutting of examination in a weird way. I think that's interesting. Cause to me, again, I, I like this one a lot and I don't have, I, I like this one and I think it wraps up really well. Like it has a it great, does. Strong it ending. has a great, I think it has a really strong ending. I think, it's interesting because we're talking about this is the first 10 minutes of the movie and the first 10 minutes of this movie are very much about like quelling your expectations. And it's fascinating because I, I like I was watching it again and I realized like the whole purpose of doing that and like I wouldn't even say it's necessarily to point out the blandness of doing this, like the blandness of doing seven movies of the same series in a row. <laughs> Because, again, I'm not – I'm admittedly not a big Saw fan. I think those movies are actually kind of dumb. And, again, I don't understand why they're interesting <laughs> other than the first one. First See us cool. next October for the 15 Saw movies. It'll happen. But, like, at the same time, I'm at the point now where the thing that I like the most about that introduction is not necessarily to point out the blandness of overdoing it, but more to point out that <laughs> – more to point, it's like a, it's an awesome middle finger to the audience, which is like, you're here, aren't you? Like, you're the one sitting there watching this fucking thing. Like, you, if you had any respect for yourself, you would have walked out after you saw Sab 7. And instead, yeah. you're still locked in because you want to know what I'm going to do. And I think that's the magic of Wes Craven. And that's the magic of Kevin Williamson is they're going to do this, like, hackneyed, hackneyed premise. Like this is literally. Well, they, they also directly this is the season told finale. the audience to fuck off. Yeah, it's the Dallas season took, finale. It's the fuck right, off of all fuck offs. They took the greatest moment in the Scream series, and I don't think you can argue it. The most memorable kill from the entire Scream series is. Oh, uh, the garage door. Garage door. It's the fucking garage door. Yeah. And what do they do in this one? The girl's crawling away. The garage door gently touches her. And goes back up. I was like, that is such Which is a 100% fuck a middle finger to us because all of us were wondering that at the same time. But it's awesome. That's what it I is. love. It, but that's what I'm saying. Scream has so earned your trust and it's been so clever. And again, I don't think Scream 3 is particularly great. 
Sure. But even Scream 3, which is not great, as you would say, it still has these really fun, big ideas. And so I think the thing in this movie is I didn't really latch on to the new characters as much. Because this movie walks kind of that new Star Wars trilogy issue where it's how much of the old stuff are we doing and how much are we truly setting this up for the future, right? Right. And so I find myself as an audience member really locking into Gale and Dewey and Sid still. Mm-hmm. And when they show the kids, I'm, I'm just kind of like Gale in this movie. Like, fuck off. Like, I've been here for three movies. Fuck you. Do right. what I want. Be who I want you to be. And it's this weird... I don't, and again, this is the thing with Scream is you always have to wonder what effect are they shooting for from us, right? Right. Well, because to me, it's I, I never, ever, ever latch on to any of the new kids. Right. And I think that's part of the point for me. And I, I thought, I, yeah. like, on this viewing, I thought the exact same thing. And I, I was really just because now we've been locked in like an entire week of watching these movies. So I'm literally, I'm literally just sitting there just kind of like, yes, yes, that. Ah, yes, of course, that. So now oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm hyper like we're on the fourth one and i'm hyper analyzing the meta and trying to figure out (laughs) is this part of the movie or is this part of the context like is this the contextual narrative i'm supposed to be watching that is the movie to tell me what the meta of the scene actually is supposed to be like there's like like i said there are just inception layers to this one where it's only because i'm sitting there having watched three of these already knowing full well what i'm supposed to expect so I a lot of the time felt like subverting expectation wasn't necessarily what they were trying to do. Because like that scene where fucking, you know, Google Glass kid and uh, I can't like, what are the names like Robbie and whatever. Either way, uh, Google Glass and the weirder Culkin are sitting in front of the class telling everybody like <laughs> the, the definitely new wielding a knife in this movie Culkin. <laughs> The new rules, you know, like they're doing the Randy bit. And again, it's one of those things where like, you know, the whole thing now is to do the opposite of what people expect. And I'm like, okay, so Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven are saying what reboots or remakes are like reboots and remakes are supposed to be about is doing the opposite of what people expect, the opposite of what has come before, which is weird because this movie spends the entire time kind of almost repeating but i also think that there's a lot of the the one thing that they said that really rang true was the viciousness of the violence in this one is so much more yeah the viciousness of the kills is that much more it takes away a lot of the creativity that i think we're used to seeing in these movies like some of the like hokiness i would put it like again jada pinkett smith's death in the very beginning of scream 2 is probably one of like kind of like better dramatic like showy set piece kills in these movies besides obviously the door the garage door this one Mm. i mean i would point to the garage door in this one too where literally the girl like it doesn't work he turns her over and just stabs the shit out of her like it's just brutally violent it's brutally violent to the point where i'm almost like wow Scream's, like, going back to, like, being, like, a regular horror movie. Like, we're not even talking about, you know, the fun meta-narrative of horror movies and what they do. This one is about, oh, we're just, like, killing people. Everything is about just, like, a vicious, yeah. vicious kill. And that was in the very Which beginning. Which is so. what happened and was one of the critiques of a lot of the remakes, right? 
Right. You had Rob Zombie's Halloween, Friday the 13th, Hills Have Eyes. There's a bunch of these, Nightmare on Elm Street especially took this, where they remade it and they took away a lot of kind of the fun genre layer that protects us from that and just made it fucking brutally violent. And this movie does feel like they've lost some of the showiness. You know, like that opening scene of Scream 1, right? You go back there and it's the boyfriend's in the chair. He's getting sliced and they're catching Drew Barrymore. They're yeah. running around, and then she's, like, gutted, right? Like yeah. Judas up in that tree right, in the front. Exactly. Like, that is, like, big, showy, elaborate. This is just, like, like when they kill the, the young lady across the street, right? When he's like, I'm not in your closet. Just yeah. fucking stabbing the just fuck out of her, throwing her out of that window of like she's just trash. Yeah. And you're like, like wow, this is... But that's, like, you know what is the weird part about that? is it makes it feel more personal, right? It does. Absolutely. It's more of that kind of true crime vibe where you're like, oh, this, like, they really want to hurt these people now. Right. More than the other screams. What what, what I latch onto a lot in this one, right, is, I, again, I, I think this is where Scream 3 should have been. I feel like Scream 3 did the best with what they could with Nev Campbell not really being on set very often and they didn't want to go to Woodsboro, whatever. Right. This feels like it feels like you couldn't have ended the Scream series without getting back to Woodsboro, right? No, you have to go. And back what to I think is this movie found a way to do an extra fun riff on that. Because, again, I, I said in Scream 3, it's not my favorite, but I really like the haunted Sydney and like the haunted by her mother and the sins of the mother to her. Absolutely. I thought that was a really great riff, right? Totally. That, the giant hole that was blown in this girl's life by, you know, a decision her mother made that had this ripple effect. And again, not I'm not here to blame her mother for having an affair. A lot of mothers have had affairs and, you know, their sons didn't come to murder us. Like, that's not what I'm saying. OK, so but thank just you for clarifying is that. this. Well, I mean, I know people are always like, oh, like, you know, I again, I'm not a person that thinks Maureen Prescott should be slut shamed like she is in all these movies. Right. Uh, you know, we've seen her husband in two movies like that wouldn't get me excited either. You know, newsflash. So you get on to this Sydney coming and doing this. You know, I I am rewriting my own chapter. Right. I, I am not going to be the victim anymore. I'm trying to move on. It's very much with where we saw Sid. You know, they kind of had the Nightmare on Elm Street ending in Scream 3 where you're like, that can't be what's really happening in that house. Right. Like some ghosts like what are they doing why is the fucking uh mcsteamy there with the popcorn like what's happening right right so he left it very weird this feels like a woman who's actually putting the pieces together now and everything that happens around sydney to me is fascinating right this throng of media her publicist who's like you're never gonna believe it it's the best thing ever like two new bodies right sid coming back home to try to exercise the final demon and then once again this fucking curse right but above her cars you know the high school kids now just do pranks of this fucking ghost face and blah 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 and again the the way the people react to her in this movie is endlessly fascinating right right like when she leaves sydney it's your fault she's the angel of death you right know, this it's i that is what really does it for me in this right. movie. well it's something right? i i think the thing that i like and again this is um this is a great subversion of what we saw in Scream 2, which is that it's like Sydney in Scream 2 even admitted like, hey, you should stay. Like she told Jerry O'Connell, like, you should stay away from me. Like you're going to wind up dead. And it's fascinating because it's like she shed that skin by Scream 4 
And yet now the world is telling her, hey, everything you thought about yourself, totally true. You are a horrible, horrible, horrible murder person, and you will get everyone yeah. around you killed. Like, that is what I think is great about subverting and, like, changing the narrative a little bit is that Sydney's no longer sort of the – it's fascinating. Like, she's no longer the, like, final girl victim. Like, you're not willing to give her that title anymore. And, again, that's another great – critique on the genre itself is that Sydney in this movie is in her 30s she's not you know some nubile 18 year old getting chased around the house she's not a Laurie Strode anymore now she's basically Laurie Strode in the new Halloween like she's an older she's an older woman yeah and she gets well, now painted we've in seen that way. this go on right yeah yeah she's getting painted that way in a way and you know and it's again it's a it's a really smart subtle way to say like hey isn't this fucked up that like we spent three movies cheering for this woman to survive. And now everyone in Woodsboro is like, you fucking monster. I know you did it. Like that to right, me is a great, that's how bit. everyone looks at her. Exactly. Yeah, And the way they project that shit on her is that she wants to rewrite her own narrative and that whoever so chooses, right? Any human being can put that mask on and take her fucking narrative away. Again. Right. Is this, it adds this extra curse element to Canics. Again, I, I said that I think Ghostface is ranked way lower on you know the best bad guy killers. Yeah. Because Ghostface has been eight people at this point, right? Right. We always do it in twos for the or wait, Scream Three was just one, but you know what I mean. We're always doing a number of these things, and it's you know multiple people. But what is cool is if you look at the mask itself, and it becomes this fucking vessel for everyone's, you know dark wishes right right that becomes really fun to grapple with with sid and again she comes to her hometown and it all fucking starts again right like one of the scenes that really landed were for me was her aunt right mm -hmm. when um you know they were making fun of sid like oh she's probably got so much scar tissue like she's beautiful but under her dress she probably is all mangled and shit. right like, exactly wow that's really fucking catty horrible thing to say but then the aunt is like well i've got scars too that was my no one asked me about my scars right. and this this fucking neediness of people who are envious of her for what we've seen her go through for four movies, the envy, the jealousy, the hating her because it's, it's very insidious and it's an awesome extra layer yeah. to spend time with Sydney and just watch her. Right. Cause in scream three, she is now isolated alone in the woods. She comes back and at the end right. we're back in the woods. This is her going right back into the fucking, you know, mauve where this started. And as the bad things happen, you don't see this Sydney. You don't get that moment, right? That you got in scream Two, where Jerry O'Connell gets attacked and it's a slow push in on Sid's face where it's, Oh my God, this is going to be my life. Now she's here, right? Like yeah. now when Anthony Anderson runs in after that girl gets slaughtered, Sid's like, I'm fine. You might want to look upstairs. She's just, this is her reality. Yeah. Right. And she's trying to rewrite it, but she knows. And so that's a really fun time to spend in this movie for me. I agree. I mean, I think that that's what makes that's what makes this movie the most watchable is because particularly because we're getting to spend. I think we're getting to spend a lot of time with Sydney that we didn't get to spend with her in Scream 3 for one. Like, yeah, I think there's be we're making up for lost time particularly, but also we have to carry we have to carry on this story with her because 
she's the one who's going to tell us where the rewrites are coming, where the reboot is actually going to be yeah. rebooted. And I think that's the thing that I like the most. It's the first time I've felt since honestly the first scream that she's really honed in on being the narrator of her own story. And really like, it's the first time we've gotten to see everything through her lens. Scream three, obviously we spent a lot more time with Dewey and Gail and scream two is a little bit more reactionary. This is one of the first times, this is the first time in a long time that we've gotten to just see her be in charge of the lens, so to speak. And I really, really yeah. enjoy, I really, really enjoy right, her knee or her cousin. We don't do a lot with her. No. Right. Like she's not, the vehicle like Sydney was before. But yeah, I mean, I even like, like you said, right? Spending time with Gail and Dewey in this one is fascinating. Yeah. Now Dewey's become this grizzled old veteran, right? And uh, <laughs> Sheriff Jude, Judy, who's tr constantly trying to, you know, skis on him. I thought that was hilarious. But she's like, I wish I was there, you know, the first time when you solved those cases. And it's yeah. like, even Dewey is this mythologized like hero now. Right. And Gail's like the, oh, you know, now I'm a, a fiction writer, small town wife. In the moment there's dead kids, she's like, get my purple suit. It's time to Gail. <laughs> you know? And I was like, I love the scumbagness of Gail in this one, right? Yeah, totally. Like, there's just something great about her, right? When the publicist is uh, talking and she's, you know, I'll fucking rearrange your face. She's like, I still got it. And I was like, I love that after four movies, Gail still has not learned a single lesson. Yeah. And just a, a tad of writer's block in what what must be a you know portfolio of millions of dollars, she's still just like ecstatic. Yeah. There's dead teens and like she can fucking get in on this. By the way, I love that Gail has refused to learn anything. Yeah. Speaking of that though, and by the way, you and I both talked about this before the pod. We need to address this right now. How are Gail and Dewey still alive? Like this is the most shocking thing I of all. <laughs> Not only how are they still alive when Dewey essentially has had a kill shot in like every movie where Dewey should be dead. Dewey's been just, murdered. Talk at about least being three scarred times. and mangled, right? Yeah. No, Dewey's looking like fucking uh, the elephant man's back under there. He's got to be just <laughs> twisted and stabbed. And yeah. It's got to be a horror show under there. The even though they made it this far, the fact that Dewey and Gale made it through this movie alive. Felt so fucking insulting. Bananas. Because I was like, this is supposed to be the reboot. And I guess the argument would be is that they, by the end of the movie, they make it very clear uh, that they think reboots suck. I think Sid's exact line is, you forgot the most important rule. Don't fuck with the original. Yeah. As she just cold-bloodedly murders yeah. again. Uh, Sydney might actually have the highest body count of most of these ghost faces. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> They just clearly make it a thing they don't want to reboot. So the movie's telling us it's the reboot. We're moving into the next phase. And then at the end of the movie, we're just left with Doofy and Gale and Sid. Again. Again. That's why I think part five has to be them, like, in an old person's, like, community <laughs> doing, like, an Ari Aster art house horror. Where, like, they are forced to relive be... the, the sins of their <laughs> I think the real crime is that P. Demps did not. I'm, uh, P. McDreamy did not get to make a, not get to make an appearance in Scream Four. If he had the fucking popcorn, yeah, at the he's, end out, of Scream he's 3, off making he's popcorns out. and <laughs> apparently he's too yeah, busy his popcorn making popcorn. making skills are uh, in better uses, right? <laughs> he's out tough talking more witnesses Again, in Hollywood I, cases. Yeah, I, I can't believe Dewey and Gale make it through this entire like Dewey. 
Dewey alone should have died after the second one. Like he has been but brutally does stabbed. Does this not fall into the rules, right? Where they want to do the opposite. Because if you lay it out, this is one of those where I, I realized in this so, one, man. I didn't find like Scream 2 is amazing because the whodunit aspect of that movie is really fun. Right? Yeah. And Scream 3 gets a little more Scooby-Doo like, ah, if only your gimpy ass sheriff and you weren't here and I yeah. kind of got away with it. You right. know what I mean? Like, totally. It's a little OK, but it's still fun. Yeah. This one, I never really felt engaged in who was ghost yeah i think that's the really fascinating thing about this movie we're spending time yeah we're spending time with our characters we like and there's just a movie happening in the background i I think (laughs) i never latched on but they did because this is the thing by letting doofy sounds like doofy's number one to die gail would be number two uh sydney would be humongous if they killed sydney that would be a real power move yeah, because I still maintain I don't think you can ever make a screen movie without Nev Campbell as Sidney Prescott. Yes, but that would have been the power move if they really believed in this, right? And so that's the three you think would die, and then at the end for the killer to be new Sid and new Randy is so spot on, right? The kid yeah. who knows too much about horror movies is influenced. It's like they already kind of did that with Oliphant, like. Jamie Kennedy was definitely one of the suspects in the first. And you're like, oh, so we are doing that. Finally, we're paying off that Randy is actually like the murderer. <laughs> right. So it's it's like so on the nose that it almost becomes not what we expect. Because, again, by part three, it's just like insane. I'm the love child of your mom who was in like yeah. two John Wayne movies, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Now I'm directing and it's it's like insane. Right. And so this one is just like, it's right there. It's it's very obvious right there, right? They do give you no clues, I think, that Emma Roberts, right? Like, they do a pretty good job of just shoehorning her in at the end. But, like, the Culkin kid, come on. It's pretty obvious. Come Again, like, You're like, you're they're gonna... not doing new Billy because he can't even deliver a line. Well, again, if you're going to make someone look like Billy in a movie, obviously I'm going to think that that guy's the killer. Like, it's just, it's a foregone conclusion. But, again, you touched on something earlier. Like, it's the subversion of expectation that runs throughout the movie. And it's not even the fact of, like, it's not even the rules thing. Like, it's just, I spent the entire movie just wanting to be with the characters I love and yeah, I, I like the way you put it though. It's like this movie's happening in the background while we watch Sydney Prescott live her life. In the like, we yeah. finally get to see what it's actually like for Sydney. Because throughout the entire time that we watch these movies, everyone is sort of speculating on what Sydney's actually going through. The only time we ever really get a chance to see what she actually goes through is when we meet her in Scream Three, where she's like a shut in in Northern California, Napa Valley. I'm like the most palatial mm. ranch property she could come up with, by the way, for being a fucking, she got, you know, she got that, uh, woods. She's got that stab money, dude. She got that stab money. So she's like, I got my stab four check and then I'm going to sue your ass. That's how this movie. But that's like the fascinating thing to me about this movie, particularly is that I finally get to spend so much time with Sydney and go through her story and go through the hoops 
it's fascinating because she herself is so bored with it. That I think is so cool. Yeah. And that is something that I really love yeah. about the way Kevin Williamson decided to craft this version of the characters. Like she's bored with it. She's been with this forever. Why does she have to do this again? Why does she have to keep going through it? And I think that's what's fascinating is like, that's what's interesting to me about the ending particularly is because yeah, she fucking murders her, uh, what her niece, I guess. Is it her niece or second niece or something like that? Murders her and no, her cousin. Cousin, cousin. sorry. Wait, I thought the wait. So is it the aunt? It's Aunt Kate, right? Aunt Kate is the one who got stabbed through the door. Sorry, yeah, that's right. I mean, what's fascinating to me is that she murders her cousin in cold blood. And you could make the argument that it would be because she doesn't want anyone else to be the final girl. But I would say more of the argument. It's because that it's because she's the only one who can handle it. If, yeah. if you it's a great assertion of what the final girl really is and I think that's the thing I like the most about Scream 4 is that Nev Campbell as Sydney Prescott asserts herself in a way that makes her not just a, a final girl but the final girl like she's like I will not be intimidated by the fourth time this has happened watch me come right. at you like if you want to think that you well, can like if you think separates. you can do this if you yeah. think you can put this on yourself that's the thing i like the most is really what that is is she's saying if you think you can take this if you can put this on yourself you have no fucking idea what i've been through you have no idea how to do this the way i do it it's almost like kevin williamson and wes craven coming back in and being like listen you can you guys can do all these fucking sequels and all these ripoffs all you want if you want to see how people do this, watch us do it. There is like sort of that like. Yeah. I mean, I would even with. take it one step further than that. Right. Which is Sydney so desperately doesn't want to be the final girl. But fate has always chosen her. Right. Sydney's one of the only girls who isn't chasing it. Right. Like there's even a little bit of Laurie Strode at times feels like she's hunting Michael. Especially oh, I mean, in the new especially Halloween, right? they the new really one. play 100% with that. Hundred percent. Like she's one. ready to fucking get it. And old Sydney, older Sydney, she's not like a grandma or whatever. No, she's thirty two. Older Sydney just kind of is doing that. Like I just want to move on. Uh, you know, she tells Emma Roberts at one point. She's like, "I hope you never have to find out if you're brave enough." Right. But it's one of those like that really struck me that scene too when their friends getting murdered and they're just watching helpless. And Sid's like. It's almost like she's like the Michael Scott autobiography. Here I go again. Here I go again. And she like runs across the street to like go fight like another young ghost face. And she's like, God damn it. And like, she's still got the moves and shit, but you can just tell she's like, God, come on. What? Yeah. Come on. And it's, and when she tries to talk to Emma Roberts, right. And she's like, you know, Hey, I actually do know what you're going through. You know, I'm sorry. I think that is Sydney in one of the rare moments in the entire series saying, Hey, you may be able to actually understand me for who I am. Right. Right. Cause that's one of the thing we lose after scream one, Sydney is never truly understood by anyone again. Right. No. They're all kind of people that know her as victim Sid. Right. And so that that's hard to, to swallow. So the idea of, you know, she doesn't want it, but her niece so desperately wants it again, this, pining for you know i don't want to work i want to be famous i want to be like you i want to have 15 minutes you know and she's just like 
you're going to slip up. They always do. Like, she knows the inevitability factor yeah. of, bitch, this is mine. It's my curse. Like, you know, do what you got to do, right? And the, the desperation of watching Emma Roberts' only active moment is fucking attacking herself. Yeah. Right? We watch this horrendous, like, Fight Club style, you know, staging the scene while Sydney lays there. And the, the beautiful shot in that sequence is when she goes and tries to mirror how Sydney even lays. Yeah. And I was like, that is amazing. I love that fucking moment. Love that. Yeah. Again, it's 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 just such a great that particularly in those moments, particularly at the hospital. That stuff is so yeah. great because it is it's the proliferation of the remake the reboot movement. It's literally them being like, all right, how did they do this? All right, that's pretty good. Like it's a filmmaker watching somebody like watching someone like Wes Craven make a movie and being like, all right, I'm taking notes. That's good. Yeah. I like that. I'm not going to do that though. This, like, <laughs> that's almost what it feels like a lot of the time. And it's very, I mean, again, that's the whole point of the scream series a lot is taking what you know and not necessarily brandishing it in front of you, but also just, telling you like we know you know this you don't need to be told what's going on again what we're gonna do is just do it and let you run with it because this isn't supposed to be a horror movie techno this isn't a slasher mm -hmm. movie people get slashed but this is really ultimately a whodunit and what we want you to do is focus on the mystery of whodunit rather than the mystery of who got stabbed we all know who got stabbed we watched that already find out try try, try and keep up with us that's yeah, that's how I always feel. in these Louboutins, right? That's something I heard on TikTok. It's cool. Is that a thing? Don't worry, we're getting a lot of younger viewers after they heard that. It's fine. No, uh, I think that is, <laughs> don't mock my hipness. I'm like old Sid trying to hang out with the young kids at Cinema Club. No, <laughs> no, I. What I like about that final scene is there's a scene even in the bed, right? She does slip up, of course, because she knows where Gail got you know stabbed. But that moment when she's like, we're all survivors now. Uh, you know, if I write a book, I'd write it with Gail. You're like, that is so different than Sydney, who for two movies is like, I will fucking knock you out, Gail. Fuck off. You know, just that little subtle difference tells you that she's not worthy of being a Sid. Uh, right. You know, on top of all the shit we just watched, that's pretty fucking horrible. And somehow, like, part of her forensics is like, oh, I'll shoot this non-moving body in the dick. And like... That forensically won't matter. You know what I mean? Like, because this movie came out <laughs> in 2011, and I was like, there's definitely forensics now, right? Like, you watch, like, Scream 1, you're like, all right, maybe they can wipe fucking Stu's Cosby sweater on it, and they'll figure it out. But I was like, we have forensics now. Like, yeah. this is 2011, bitch. Like, you're firing the gun, you be stabbing, and then just wiping the handle half-assed. Like, come on. Come on, you shot the dick. That's gonna give you away, right? And I was like, I know it's, I know it's Sheriff Doofy's town, so like he's not like, you know, a case cracker. But for the love of God, but I, I, I actually like that a little Sheriff more because it, it makes that yeah, Sheriff Doofy, it makes the media part of the ending so much cooler. Yes, that when the inside is so very clearly, easily a stage fucking scene in a town where they've already seen that. That they just immediately swarm her and they're like, oh, you know, you're the new girl, blah, blah, blah. That really works, right? And her kind of half a smile like, yeah. oh, this was worth it. It's, it's, it's repulsive, right? It's horrible. So when she's in the hospital and just lashing out violently, 
again, it's one of those she she knows for a fact she can't get away with it, but she's still willing to just hash it out. Like, because now she won't get away with it and be the final girl, but now she can become infamous, right? Now she can be right. a Netflix three part documentary on what went wrong, right? Get right. interviewed in prison like a tough guy or a tough gal. And so there, there is this coolness to that, right? And then as we see it all go awry, we cut outside and the media still fucking singing her praises, right? Uh, you know, I, I think that, I think that part is really awesome about the ending, man. Yeah, I mean that's the poignancy of, I mean, and it's probably more to the point of what's happened. I mean, by 2011, and obviously now, particularly, not just social media, but the media in general are so so culpable in shaping the narrative. So to me, that's what's so great about that ending is that it's still about the shaping of the narrative. Like at the end of Scream mm-hmm. One, you have Gail Weathers shaping her narrative. And you see what narrative she decided to shape going into Scream Two. Scream four, it's not just a Gail Weathers. It's not some like plucky local camera person and some plucky reporter trying to figure things out. It's literally yeah. everybody is on this fucking story. So yeah. you don't well, they have... even say it too, right? This this time he's directing the movie. As in Ghostface, which is kind of right. a fun new we kind of I mean, I it felt a little derivative of Scream Three where it's literally a director. Right. Sure. <laughs> but that part when he's like, I got great footage of murdering these girls. Yeah. Like, you know, Hayden Panettiere, or I think that's how you say her name. She was gonna sleep well with that guy, and because he got blocked, he's like, Yeah, I'm gonna murder and get dope footage of it. You're like, Yeah, this is this is insidious. Like that that works, right? And I yeah. I like that notion of just wanting to be famous and not understanding that Sydney didn't want to be famous. And that's why she is in a way, right? Like that's why these, these psychopaths are drawn to her is because she's not calling them forth, right? Like if you're doing a possession movie and you have a demon summoner, this and that, that doesn't work as much as Linda Blair stuck in that bed, this innocent girl who just gets besieged. Totally. Right. And this girl, all of these psychos are coming to try to take Sydney's story and herself and like, you know, take that from her. Right. And they can't, she doesn't want it. She's not calling them forth. So she has a power versus them. Right. And I think that's what this movie does. It, it adds those extra fun layers to the canon of those three. Yeah. Again, doofy not being dead is just insane. Like, right. Like one of those two's uh, gots to die. Has to die. <laughs> To me, that's to. that's your hard open for Scream Five, is you just have now very old, Doofy, Gale, and Sid, and they're just like sitting on a couch arguing over like who's gonna pay the tip on their delivery pizza, whatever old people do, and then they <laughs> all just get got right, right, like all of them get got by like Tony Collette spidering on the ceiling. And you're like, yeah, bitch, now we're in for some screaming, because I was just like. <laughs> Also, I like that this movie continued one of my favorite things in the movie, which is um, the wild animalistic reaction to any human eye that witnesses a stab film. Yeah. Like they play stab one in the barn and kids are just. I was like, yeah, baby, I like that. Yeah. It gives it that that thing that Billy Graham was scared of in The Exorcist, where it's like the ghost is in the film. You got to exercise the film strips. 
I like that that's now built into the screen. It's just built into the general general audience now. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah. Well, A, that is absolute us. Doofy or Gale have to be killed at the beginning of Scream 5 for me to even think that this is going to go down the way it should go down. Has I've, to got, I've got your murder, right? Doofy's going to come home with lemon bars and Gale's going to be like, I've been dealing with this shit for 20 years and just fucking <laughs> shank his ass. How much trouble would you be in if you had an underling, right? She's a deputy, right? But he's a pretty good boss, right? Like, let's say an underling coworker, right? Who is constantly like coming on to you and sending you home with baked goods. Uh, deep shit. Yeah, deep I was shit. like, Doofy's playing it. Like, I don't think Doofy's worried about cheating on his diet. I think he no, knows no. Gail's going to fucking Woodsboro. Doofy's being him. a little fast and loose. That's that. That's what he's doing. He's playing it way too yeah, fast I mean, and loose. I'm just saying, like, he wakes up in the morning. She doesn't even flinch, dude. Judy is just over there like, pow, what's up? I'm here with lemon bars. I'm just saying that <laughs> many, many a man <laughs> do not have the fortitude of Doofy and right. have fallen to a Judy. But right? I do. Like, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen it firsthand. I think the thing that I like the most about Scream 4 is that while it starts in this really weird sort of not particularly interesting meta way because you know what's happening from the jump you know yeah. what's going on to get the, to get to that ending though which says a lot about not just it does a good job of saying exactly what all screen movies say at the end which is what it says about the movie itself but then it literally just it's a mirror to the audience being like why are you still here like this is exactly <laughs> what we're talking about this one is especially when it's like, oh, you thought we remaking this? Fuck you. Yeah. Like, You're going to be in that retirement home with Doofy. <laughs> it's this brilliant, like, you're part of the problem thing that the Scream movies do a lot of the time that I, I really enjoy because, again, like, I'm not going to not watch it. But, again, yeah. I, I, I am. No, I am when Scream 5 comes out, we will be covering it. We love Scream. Absolutely. But that's but, if you had to sum it up, though, what makes this one a worthy standalone on its own? because right? we get I feel to... like I can give you like the one word, the one like sentence about all of them. Right. Scream sure. was groundbreaking meta examination. Mm -hmm. Scream two, insanely good. Uh, who done it. It kind of added the curse element, right? Like the, the random mutated mind. Scream three was, you know, new settings, Scooby-Doo fun. Yeah. Scream four. I have a harder time finding the, what was the thing? Right? I think for me, Scream... It, it, it continues solidifying the curse. I think for me, Scream 4 boils down to, I finally got the story I wanted about Sydney. Like, yes. we finally got the yeah. point. We, what we finally got to do was spend time with our final girl and her prove why she's that person. Like, she's proved it multiple times. But what we finally get to do is sit with a character for a long enough time to not have to deal with other people's opinions about her for one. Because, again, like you're right, up through Scream 3, everyone's like, oh, Sydney's a victim. Oh, Sydney's a victim. All this shit. What we finally get to do in this movie is see Sydney for who she really is, which is someone who isn't a victim. Like, she's a victim, obviously, just in name, but she's someone who's dealt with this for her entire life, practically. So now. It's old hat. Yeah. She's tired of it. And it, the reluctance of being the final girl is the thing that makes her the most impressive. So for me, 
the one word answer for why Scream 4 is a great one-off, a great Scream movie in general, is that it's the examination of Sidney Prescott we always asked for, and then we got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what I take away is it. this one is really fun to watch Sydney after she tries to, you know, change her victim narrative, as she calls it. Right. And just watch the way that people won't let her, that happen, right? And not just the the maniacs that put on the ghost face mask. Right. But just random passerbys on the street. It's as if no one ever wants this girl to be happy. <laughs> and she is just this fucking plaything for our amusement. Right. Right? And it it's really solidified in this. And she plays this just strength, right, of, all right, I'm never going to stop being the original girl, but I'm still the baddest, right? Don't fuck with the original. Yeah. All right, to wrap up here, I'm going to give you list, right, of remakes or part four in a series. And if you've seen them, rate Scream against them. Because I don't I, – I wonder – I don't know if I would call this a reboot as much as a part four, right? Yeah. Because, like, if you compare this to the Evil Dead reboot, I don't think that's a fair test. Right? No, that's like comparing apples and a bunch of blood. Yeah, right? So – all right, Friday the 13th Part 4 was the final chapter. That's Corey Feldman, the makeup artist, Jason's head sliding down the machete. That or Scream 4? Uh, Scream 4. Oh, see, I'm going Friday on that one. All right, uh, Halloween 4 is the return of Michael Myers. We're starting the curse with his niece. What do you got, Scream 4 or Halloween 4? Halloween 4. See, I'm going Scream 4 on that one. I think Halloween 4 and 5 are not my faves. But we'll be getting to that soon. <laughs> All right, what else we got? Night Round Elm Street 4. This is post-Dream Warriors. Yeah. We're kind of like starting the new cast with the old. This is when she gets Dream Mastery, if I remember right. Yeah, I'd go Scream 4. See, I fucking lo- I love that, dude. The, she will do anything, anything. Karate, headband, Alice. Yes. I love I love I love Dream Warriors. I would just not a fan of the Dream one. Warriors is probably the pinnacle of that series. Yeah. Uh I'm trying to think. Phantasm four, Hellraiser four, uh Scream is way better. Scream's way now, better. Now Leprechaun, I'm gonna be I'm I'm remiss in saying I can't remember if Leprechaun four is space or in the hood. I believe it's in the hood. I think it's into hood too. And I would say, I think leprechaun into hood is better than scream Four. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I'm not trying to be bombastic. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be contrarian, but solely for the bathroom scene where he smokes weed with the, uh, is it iced tea? Yeah. That, Ice that, tea plays like, the that scene alone could just like, that's the capper on yeah. this perfect movies. And if it's leprechaun in space, that to me is like the, that's my favorite leprechaun movie. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. I think this ranks really well amongst part fours, right? I think it's like maybe three of part fours. Of I mean, once you get to part four in horror movie series, yeah. I think it's better than Final Destination 4. Once you get to part four, you're running on steam. Yeah. And I think Scream 4 has a little of that. It feels derivative, and why are we pushing this reboot thing, but you right. clearly don't want to reboot but it's still very fascinating throughout. I think the benefit of scream movies being what they are is that you don't have to, the meta narrative that you get from them, what you don't have to do is focus on like to me, like for Friday the 13th for nightmare on Elm street, like you have to focus a lot more on the character himself. You have to focus a lot more on Jason. You have to focus a lot more on Freddie like that. 
examination of that character particularly. Mm. What's great about Scream and why those movies can endure is because what you do is you focus on the movie itself. You focus yeah. on the actual making of the movie itself and what it actually is doing. The plot itself unfolding is what is interesting about the movie. And I think a lot of the time, particularly when you get to the fourth movie in horror series, like you said, you are running on steam, but you're also really banking on your guy. You're really banking yeah. on your character to like take you through. And I think particularly I'd say the Nightmare on Elm Street series, that's what they that's what you lean on a lot of the time. Yeah. So Scream works really well because what we're banking on is the story, and that's always going to get me to go to the movies. So, Yeah, I mean, I think if you're ranking horror movie series, right, Scream doesn't have as many entries. No. But I think of the more modern, right? So if you take out movies that started in the 80s, right, and just go 90s on series, I like this so much better than Final Destination. Final Destination so so any, of yeah. the, any of those big horror movie series that came after – you know, kind of this 80s explosion of we're going to do all these movies. I think Scream is the preeminent modern franchise, right? I think now you would say the Conjuring universe is going to be getting into that territory. Yeah. But I think at least half of those are not worth discussing. Let's let's put it that right. way. So, I, I, don't, I mean, that's I, where examining Scream is so fun because I think often we forget how impressive it is that they made four movies this fucking good. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately the reason Scream endures is because it came along in a time where we were getting saturated. Yeah. And what it did was it took a step back and said, let's talk about that. And I think that's the thing that Scream always does is it waits for a moment. And I think that's why Scream 2 is so good because instead of doing, instead of waiting back for a moment, it instead just makes a, a great sequel. Scream yeah. 3 sat back, waited for a moment, and almost parodied, it, parodied itself. And now Scream, and then Scream 4 had the opportunity to really sit back and say, what's going to happen in the next 10 years of this business, of yeah. this genre? And then they were able yeah. to do that too. That's why we get another one in 2021 or 2022, whenever it comes out. Because... We now have had another 10 years, so we're sitting back and we're watching people like Ari Aster and Jordan Peele put out really intense highbrow, highbrow think to yourself Sanding after you walk face, out of the movie. Eating lobster and farting on each other in the lighthouse. <laughs> That's part of it. You know what, man? I'm with that. I'm, I'm down. I, I'd watch it. I'd be stoked. Yeah. No, I think that's the fun thing is that. It is both a love letter and a fucking kick in the ass to the horror community. Absolutely. Which is, hey, we love this shit as much as you. Let's dissect it, this and that. But also, hey, man, expect a little more. Yeah. Like, you know what's happening to you. Come on. And I, I think it will always be fun for the teenager who's really, like, discovering horror. And he's like, oh, I know this shit now. Yeah. To turn that movie on and just be like, oh, yeah, like, Randy's doing what I do with my – I. I think it will always be enduring in that way. And Ghostface can always be your most hated enemy and the thing that you're most afraid of at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and Sid is, you know, in the pantheon, like in the top three, four. I mean, I would say it's like just her and Laurie Strode is the best final girls. Yeah, ever. I would agree. So, yeah, I mean, starting the horror movie month off with Scream, unless you count Candyman, which we just did, go back and download. Uh, what a great way to start off horror month. I fucking adore Scream. I'm glad we got to do this. Again, guys, we got a lot of cool horror movies, some one-offs, 
Obviously, uh, all the Evil Dead movies, all the Halloween movies coming as well. Uh, so stay tuned, guys. I know it's a lot this month, but we do appreciate you uh, giving us the space to work and do these this many horror movies. It means a lot to me because I, I, I hope you guys as enjoy as this as much as we do. This is a great month to do this podcast, and I always enjoy it. I'm I'm glad we've started this tradition of just overloading October because it's so yeah. much fun to do. But this is what I'm saying, right? You could say Christmas, but I call poppycock because most Christmas movies aren't good. There is no time that it is better to be a movie fan to me than when that calendar flips to October 1st and you're like, oh, fuck yeah, dude. Horror movie marathons, all-nighters. You know, you get excited. Like, when I was a kid before streaming, you'd be like, what's AMC showing? And, like, you know, you're trying to, like, write out in notepads, like, what you're going to watch when. Yep. And so I've always just had this. This is, you know, like, this is my Christmas and all my holidays rolled into one. I love October and I love Doing all these horror movies, guys. So that's what we're doing. Uh, as always, take a second and leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist. That's plural with an S at the end. You can email us, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com with your ideas on movies you'd like to hear us talk about, double features, guests, all that good stuff. Uh, find us on all your social medias and tell your friends, guys. Tell your friends and prepare the endless dark abyss of horror. Uh... Like James Cameron, we're we're gonna keep trying to go as deep as we can. We gonna keep going down and down and down. Hell yeah! Trying to find, find that, that bottom. Ra- there. We're gonna find that Randy Newman. Yeah, we gonna try, guys. Uh, so yeah, another horror movie tomorrow, and the day after, and the day after. Like Sid, we constantly wake up in a nightmare every day. For the film alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I am Alex Dantino. That's Stu. That's his real name. He's a stew. Feel a woo's here. <laughs> what a great line.